I am your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 220, where we'll be discussing the song Rats by the Kinks. If you're joining us live, be sure to say hello in the chat and chime in with your thoughts as we go. Um, This is our second live recording session, and if you missed yesterday's, it is archived on our Facebook page as well as on our YouTube channel. And uh, audio of all these shows will be added to our podcast feed um, a week following the live recording. Okay, Um, so today, like I said, we're talking about the song Rats by the Kinks. Um, This song was released November 20th, 1970 as the B-side to the Ape Man single, and is also the 10th song on the album Lola vs. Power Man and the Money Go Round, which was released November 27th, 1970. And the song was written by Dave Davies, and is about as different as you can get from his other compositional credit on this album, Strangers. Um, This is an all-out rocker from start to finish, and features some outstanding performances from every member of the band. Uh, if you listen to all the band's albums in order, this is actually the last Dave composition you're going to hear until You Don't Know My Name from Everybody's in Showbiz. Uh, since Dave isn't given any vinyl space once the Kinks enter into their rock opera period, it, it gets very sparse for the Dave Davies compositions. Um, kind of interesting, Dave doesn't mention this song in his, uh, in his first autobiography. Uh, I checked today it's not in the index it's not anywhere where he's actually talking about making the lola album Um, maybe there's more comments to come in his forthcoming book that i think comes out in april but i i I don't know for sure Um, but he did talk about it a bit while promoting the 50th anniversary of lola Um, and he mentioned in an interview in an interview that the song is about his feelings about the music industry and he says it's a um nightmarish scenario really being in the music business i've never really felt at home but once you get on stage and connect you're home uh in fact the lyrics are pretty scathing if you dig just below the surface past the rat metaphor um if they if they die there's more bread for me is one line that really jumps out if you apply it to record executives and agents and managers and and people like that musically this song is uh, Kind of funny because it bears a striking resemblance to yesterday's episode about Magical Mystery Tour. All right. So the song is in E and it opens on the E chord and then jumps to a G major chord, which we discussed yesterday has no business being in the key of E. In fact, it's not really even conveniently borrowed from any of the other scales associated with E. So we're not getting a five of five or a five or four or anything like that like we're used to it is the three chord in e dorian which is a mode um but e dorian would uh if if we were in that tonality um the first chord would be e minor and it's not it's e major so in that we're not in e dorian so yesterday i said that magical mystery tour's use of that g chord was basically it was the tonic of the relative minor to the parallel minor all right, I'll explain it real quick. But if you are kind of confused, I went in a little bit more detail in yesterday's episode, which, like I said, is up on the YouTube. Um, so the we're in E minor or major. The parallel minor is E minor because they share the same name, E. And then the um, uh, relative minor to E minor is G 
major, I'm sorry, the relative major to E minor is G because they share the same key signature. So relatives share the same key signature, parallels share the same first names. Okay? So there's where your G comes from. It is the relative minor to the parallel minor of E major. So we're going the E to G to A, right? It's the exact same chords we talked about um, in Magical Mystery Tour yesterday, right? Roll up to G, roll up for the mystery tour. Same exact chords. So it's kind of funny that I just happened to pick these um, uh, back to back today or this week, but that's how it goes sometimes. So these, um, so I'm basically going to say the same thing. It's the same analysis I gave yesterday. Um, and these are just examples of instances where musical analysis gets super complicated. Um, but at the end of the day, it sounds good, so who cares? So like if I was actually analyzing this um, on paper, I would put a little flat sign and then an uppercase Roman numeral three. And that would tell me that it's uh, the three chord, which in this case would be G minor. And then the uppercase three tells me it's major. So that would tell me it's G sharp major. And then the flat sign in front would mean lower to half step to G major. So that's how I would notate it. But that doesn't really tell us anything about where the key is coming from, where these chords are coming from. But, you know, again, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. This is all just trivia. Um, I really only bring up that chord sequence because it's the exact same one we discussed yesterday, yesterday, even in the same key. The rest of the song is really absent of any stable tonality. And really, these three chords with that G major chord, it's kind of absent of any stable tonality also, which isn't unusual. Um, all but one of the chords in this song are major chords. And most of them are naturals. Right, and there's no key. We have C, C sharp, D, E, G, and A, all major. So one sharp. All of them are all natural major keys. There's no key where those all exist. Um, and there's an F sharp minor in there somewhere. That's the only minor key or chord. But unlike I am the Walrus, which also uses exclusively major chords, um, that one covered all of them. That went A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That covered every chord every major chord that you have uh, on the natural side, it got covered. This one doesn't hit all the chords of the diatonic scale. So there's not much to analyze. Uh, a lot of the core, a lot of the riff is based on chord playing. And so we've got these movements that you necess not, wouldn't necessarily do other than the fact that you're building this riff around them. I do want to highlight a couple things real quick, though. And the first thing is the amazing bass playing by John Dalton. Um, when you listen to the beginning of the song, he comes in halfway through the introductory riff, which is cool and unusual of itself. And then when the verse kicks in, his bass line sort of mimics the rhythm of the guitar riff with a lot of upbeat playing. Um, kind of has a Motown feel until a minute 13. And there he busts into this walking bass line out of nowhere and completely takes off with the track as if it weren't driving enough Dalton kicks it in the high gear at that point um, and it's really outstanding it's it's really really good bass playing uh, and this is the kind of bass playing that when I'm playing in a band I like
playing with guys that play like this. Uh, it, it's just it's really fantastic. Then, as always, I want to point out Mick Avery's drumming on this track. He is, as I've said a hundred times in this series so far, a criminally underrated drummer, and his grooves and fills here are absolutely perfect. You know, if you listen to what he's doing with the left hand on the snare, and this comes, he has a, a jazz technique almost, particularly with his left hand. And you didn't hear a ton of rock drummers of his era really making the the two influences work as well as he did. You know, the Stones have that jazz, you know, he could play jazz, but the, he didn't really incorporate it into um, their work quite the way that Mick Avery does. Right, so if you listen to his left hand, he's... he's uh, the interplay between the snare and the hi-hat, um, instead of just getting you're getting like right? You're getting a lot of subdivision in the left hand, and it's very subtle. It's 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 ghosted notes, but um, when you combine that with the fills that he does, which are really you know there are moments when he is very restrained and just playing it straight ahead, and then there are moments where all of a sudden he turns into Keith Moon. Um, and this one's got all those moments. And then, of course, John Gosling, who we've talked about before, is new to the band at this point, adding in some filthy organ over all this chaos of the bass and the drums and the guitars. He just adds these chords. I mean, he ends the song on a different chord than the rest of the band. And it's and it works. It's an extension. But um, nobody else is playing that extension, so he's kind of sticking out on this chord while everybody else is ending you know on the on the tonic he's playing this extension and it just adds so much tension and um depth to the song the the work he does on keyboards on this track is is really pretty cool kind of gives you a vibe of like steppenwolf um but better no offense to steppenwolf but it kind of has that that tone all of that plus some stunning guitar work you know, Dave is basically soloing through, if you're listening on headphones, it's it's panned all the way over. Um, he's basically soloing through the whole song, and then the guitar riffs, the rhythm guitar, all that is is really solid. And it ends up being a real treat on the album. And coming after the ballad, um, A Long Way From Home, and preceding this pop pastiche um, of Ape Man, it kind of helps anchor side two of the album, right? I don't think there are any throwaway songs on this album. And even though I'm not the hugest Ape Man fan, I mean, it's still a catchy tune and everything. But I think without having rats on side two, the second side would start to feel like they were just throwing stuff at the wall. You've got a ballad. You've got this quasi-island-sounding uh, song, and you know where they're just, re- I'm an ape man, I'm an ape ape man. I mean, it starts to get a little hokey, but you've got this song, um, and then you've got Power Man, and that really kind of keeps side two cohesive with side one. And I mean, all this, we don't listen to it on sides if we're listening on Spotify or on our CD collection, so that's all a bit um, irrelevant at this point. But, you know, it still adds to the flow of the album, and I think... Just like we had a palate cleanser between rockers on side one, now we have a rock palate cleanser um, against kind of the softer stuff on this album. 
and it, and it works effectively. Um, we don't have anyone in the chat today, so we're not going to chat with anybody there. So I just want to remind you all, if you um, are able, we're going to do different times every night until we kind of come up with the time that we can get the most people here. Uh, and I know that because none of these episodes have aired on the podcast feed, a lot of you don't even know that we're doing it like this yet. So as the weeks go on, um, make sure you're following Hero Habit, facebook.com slash Hero Habit, and that you can join the Kinks and Beatles um, Facebook group once you're there. But if you follow Hero Habit, you'll get alerts for all the times that we're scheduling these um, live broadcasts. And you can participate. You can jump in and you can, uh, you know, just say hello or correct me on something that you disagree with or share an insight to a song um, that you might have. I'm really hoping that this um, becomes something that you guys will will join me in and we can have some fun with it. Um, Okay, so that's going to be it for us today. As always, thanks for watching or listening, and be sure to track us down on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube. We're on all of it now um, to stay up to date with this series as well as all the other cool content we're posting. Um, and if you'd like to contact me, you can leave me a voicemail at 925-494-1739 or email me at kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. And, uh, of course, you can find me on all these social media platforms as well. Thanks for checking out this episode, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.